Welcome. You are listening to a sermon preached at Church at the Armory. If you like what you hear, share it. God bless you. All right. Peter, back to Peter. He writes this, uh, he writes this book, and uh, he's writing from Rome. They think he's writing from Rome in the time of Nero, when the church is under a great deal of persecution. Everybody say persecution. Now, we don't really know anything about persecution here in America. Like, we don't know anything. We think somebody was mean to us at the checkout line at Walmart, which I now love, by the way, for all y'all haters. Anyway, uh, anyway, it's like somebody's mean to us at the checkout line at Walmart. It's like, with, I've been persecuted. The devil's against me. No, no, no. We don't know anything about persecution. These guys in Nero, they were being used as lampposts in his garden lit on fire. Tell me, tell me you're having a bad day. You see what I'm saying? Like these guys were seriously under persecution. And so um, this is the kind of stuff that could be in our future. Everybody's like, mum, mum. yeah, everybody's like, praise God. Okay, I'm going home now. I'm not going to sit here and listen to this negative negativity, right? Now, this is kind of stuff that, that Peter's addressing a New Testament church and saying, you guys can do this. So I want to talk to you about the kind of faith or building the kind of saint that can walk through anything that hell throws at it. I want to piggyback this off of last week's message. If you weren't here, you can get on our church podcast and listen to it, Church at the Armory on Apple Podcasts, or you can just get on our Facebook page or whatever. And uh, I talked about the five things. The five functions check, five basic things every believer. We talked about worship, prayer, getting in the scripture, reading your Bible, going to church, making it part of your family, and outflow, which means giving or serving or everything doesn't, can't be about you. That the, the kingdom of God has to flow through you. If you're not putting out, then you're, all you're taking is you become this stagnant body of water, a pond that ends up being covered up with some green nasty stuff, and nobody wants to drink out of that. Say amen. And so, and it's like this idea that when life gets hard and when trials come, and in this case, Peter's writing to this New Testament church when they're trying to kill you, what kind of saint has been built that can, that can endure through any kind of tribulation that hell throws its way? Uh, now, America got a great wake-up call, didn't we? It was called the Rona. Right? Church is a big multi-million dollar industry in, in all through the 90s and 2000s. And man, it's booming and everybody's going to church. And you got mega churches full of thousands of people. And everybody goes as a matter of habit to church. And all of a sudden, this disease hits. And when this disease hits... I go back to my five fundamental basic things we talked about last week. Are you now in a still, are you still holding this heart posture of worship? See, have our eyes got off God? Now, I'm not saying that we're years past, we're, we're past Rona. <coughs> you know what I'm saying? What I'm saying as I cough, <laughs> right? We're, we're past Rona, but my point is everybody's eyes 
went off the king in his in his crown and went on this literally corona means crown on this 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 disease that trying to crown the earth in death. Worship is what we behold. And so, you know, basic things like worship. Were you as faithful in prayer? Were you as faithful? Depression broke out. When depression breaks out, people don't pray as much, right? And, and were you as faithful to the word? Were you as faithful to gathering with the body? Anyway, we'll let that, we'll let that, we'll let that just simmer right there for a while. Were you faithful to not being every, uh, one, of my, one of my worst fears about Rona was that everybody shuts down, isolates, that everything becomes about me. And so when that happens, there's no outflow. There's no giving. There's no serving. There's no kingdom of God coming through me. I become this bottleneck where everything just kind of comes to be about me. And so, and so if, if you ask any pastor in America of any church, not just this one, but any church in across America, was Rona good to your church? Everybody's going to say, no. What it did was it accurately displayed what kind of believer we had raised. And so this is what, essentially, this is what Peter's talking about is like, we have to, and, and this is what I'm talking about. Every time I get up here and I'm talking about church at the armory, everybody say armory, and we're talking about the idea that at the armory is where soldiers come and they get trained and they get equipped to be sent out to go do the, the work of the Lord, the, the battle, the war, whatever it is, okay? And, and the idea is like, what kind of soldier are we building here? kind of man or woman are we building here? What kind of soldier are we building? Are we building a soldier that can go out and can fight no matter what hell throws at it? Are we building the soldier that the first sign of trouble, they run back to a place of comfort, right? We all know what happens to people in the scripture whenever they should be out warring, but they're at home uh, uh, walking the rooftops. So, so this is what we're talking about here is like, be mindful, Chester, Leadership of Church at the Armory, what kind of, what kind of Christian are we building? Are we building a Christian that can walk into quite literally what we, a lot of us believe to be times of the end that we can walk and endure no matter what hell throws at us? Or while we become part of the deceived or part of the people who shrink back, like the writer of Hebrews says, they shrink back. And so I'm, I'm interested in saying, uh, do you, are you built for the kingdom? Are you built, uh, according to Peter, to, to carry on doing faith no matter what hell throws your way? We're going to start with verse 13, brother. Verse 13 says this, Peter, therefore, everybody say prepare. Everybody say prepare real loud. Prepare is this concept of you have to, when I, uh, any hunters in here, you know, hunting's, hunting's on my mind, right? Any hunters in here? Whenever you decide to go hunting, you spend days, if not hours and hours, preparing to go hunting, right? You don't just wake up one morning, oh, just go grab something out of the closet and just walk out there with a stick and a, a sharp rock and say, I'm going to get it done. Like, there's preparation in mind. Let me ask you the question. What are you doing to prepare your heart for the future, even the idea of a tumultuous or, or, or a troublesome future. We have this battle in our hearts and in our minds with a modern, what I call Western 
gospel theology that any sign of trial, tribulation, trouble is the idea that you're doing something wrong and God's mad at you and that you need to, you need to get it fixed because if you were doing it right, there would be no trouble in your life. That is not the scripture anywhere ever. Jesus, how many of y'all love the promises of God? Love the promises of Jesus, right? He has all these promises. Uh, uh, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, right? And we have all these promises. We read them. We can hang on to them. They provide hope. You know, Jesus himself said, in this world, this is a promise. You will have tribulation. I love your promises. Right? In this world, you will have tribulation. You're going to have trials. You're going to have trouble. Hell is going to come against you. And when it does, if we shrink back, if we're not prepared, your mind, if I say mind, one of the greatest struggles the church has had is the mental approach to facing trials and tribulations and facing what hell throws at us. Everybody say, prepare my mind. If you don't think that you have to prepare your mind, then when it comes, you, you're surprised. You're like, oh, man, I didn't realize things were bad were going to happen. Read your Bible, right? It's all full of just uh, going to be some um, troublesome days. Amen? And so there's two things that shock me as a pastor that church people do that shock me. Church people get really mad at sinners who act like sinners, I'm like, what did you expect? They're lost. They're reprobate of mind. And you're like, you should be a moral upstanding citizen. I'm offended. Okay, some of y'all are there. Okay, so it's like, you surprised me, you church people. And then so whenever we see people acting crazy and we go, I just can't believe they're doing that. Oh, why can't you believe it? They're full of hell. Why do you expect heaven out of something that's full of hell? Anyway, that's another sermon for another day. And then the other thing that surprises me is when church people go, they go, I just, I'm surprised that God is letting these bad things happen, which is a very secular way to approach the scriptures. The Bible is chopped full of instances that we like to gloss over and go, well, yeah, I know, but, but we, the chopped full of instances where, where, where uh, absolutely hell happens. And in this case, specifically, I'm talking about persecution to the point of death. Okay? Okay? So, those two things surprised me out of church people, as if they weren't told, right? The scripture is very clear. Now, he says, prepare your minds for action. This is the, remember reading in the Old Testament, everybody, anybody read the Old Testament anymore? It's still relevant, amen, okay, all right, and there's this, there's this thing in the Old Testament where he says to those guys that they want to send a fast message or go to war and battle, they'll say, gird up your loins, and it's this picture of, you know, in the Old Testament, they would wear these, like, robe things, right, and they would have a belt on, and then they would take, and you, anybody, all you men ever tried to run in a dress before, it's hard, you cannot say that in 2023. It just go, doesn't go well. But you see, what they would do is they'd take their robe and they'd pull it up and they would tuck it into their belt and they would tie it off to where it became like shorts. And then they, would, they were able to run without tripping over their own garments. That's another sermon for another day. Literally, this is the uh, Greek um, equ- equivalency of gird up your loins 
is prepare your minds. Prepare your minds for action. When hell comes against us, one of the most knee-jerk human responses is to stop doing what we were doing, hunker down, isolate, and become inactive. And literally, Peter's telling these people who are probably in literal hiding from literal people who want to literally take their life, prepare your minds to keep doing the gospel. To keep doing those five things we talked about last week where you worship God and you stay in prayer and you stay in the scriptures and you stay plugged in at the body. It's mind-boggling to me where we are... Uh, calm down, Chester. Calm down. It's mind-boggling to me where we have to beg people to come to church in America. Yeah, in every persecuted country all over the world, they'll risk their physical life living or dying to hide their way into meeting with the saints to meet together at the body of Christ. It's because they prepared their hearts for action. They prepared their minds for action. Yet we're begging Americans who love comfort above everything else. Come sit in a nice blue padded chair. Don't sit on the every other row with the green ones. Those are not near as comfortable. Sit in this nice blue chair when we got air conditioning and it's so nice in South Arkansas we can actually open the door and say praise God. Come Come and we'll give you coffee. We'll make sure you're out before China Buffet closes down. And literally, he's talking to Christians. They're like, we're going to meet together. And if we get caught, we'll probably die. But we're doing it anyway. That's the kind of soldier that we have to build for what hell's going to throw our way in the future. Oh, you're preaching doom and gloom and fear mongering. I'm not. I'm preaching to you the word. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Gird up your loins. Same idiom. Gird up your loins. Stay on the move. Don't shut down. Don't shut down. Don't shut down. Don't recluse. Don't turn inward. Stay moving. It's like I talked about last week. A pond that has no moving spring. No, no, you know, it's not spring fed. It fluctuates with the, with the weather. Whatever the weather brings is what it's going to do. It's not stable. It just does whatever its environment is doing. A river... Cleegee uh, went up to my stomping grounds, uh, Mountain View, went to the caves this last weekend. That, that, that spring comes out of that cave, 56 degrees. Doesn't matter if it's January 1 or July 1. Year-round, it's doing the same. It is consistent. It's like clockwork. It is consistent, consistent, consistent. Because it's fed from something deeper than whatever the wind blows in. And so prepare your minds to stay moving. Be consistent. Right? Good preaching, Pastor Chester. Everybody say sober. sober. Stay sober. Why well, don't drink, Pastor? That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about sober. Everybody say in spirit. Everybody thought about having a sober spirit. Now, first thing I want to teach you is that sober doesn't mean depressed. 
We have like such a carnal mindset of drunkenness and soberness. We think drunkenness means fun and sober means fuddy dud. Right? Y'all don't act so Baptist today. Okay? Listen, we think like, well, you know, the drunk people, they're always having fun. The, the sober people, they're just lame. Remember, we have to designate one of those guys to be the lame guy to drive us home. Right? You see what I'm saying? It's like this idea that we've associated soberness with killjoy. Sober doesn't mean depressed. And guess what? Drunkenness doesn't mean joy. It means a fleeting moment of emotion that will fade away as fast as it came. And it's not even true happiness. It just comes and it goes and it produces nothing in you except heartache in the end. And so, so many people are living their lives intoxicated in spirit on the sense of self. Self-gratification. I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, where I want to do it. If I don't want to go to church, I ain't going to church. If I don't want to pray, I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like praying sometimes. I always feel like praying when I'm done praying, though. How many know what I'm talking about? You go into prayer and you're like, okay, I know, I know I need to do this. I know that this is what the Lord wants me to do. I'm going to do this, okay? Five minutes later, heaven is invading your space. You're like, why did I ever right, fight this? That makes sense? You get in your, I, I know I'm not, I don't feel like reading the Bible. You start reading your Bible, something slaps up, something jumps off the page, slaps you upside the head. You got this revelation that's going to carry you through days. You're like, why did I ever, why did I ever think that I didn't want to be in this place with the Lord right now? Church, maybe if you come hear me preach, you leave and like, I don't know why I came today. But, you know, you may wake up and be like, man, I'm just tired. I don't want to go to church, right, church? I've never, uh, uh, here's another one. Parents, youth pastors, y'all, amen, real loud. I don't want to make my kids go to church. That's ridiculous. You make them bathe. My, <laughs> if y'all ever smell Chad, okay, anyway, no going moving on. Uh, it's like, Chad, go take a shower. I want to do this. I don't care what you want to do right now. What you need is to be cleansed of your sins. Boy, you smell bad, right? Okay, so you take and you make him bathe. And the whole idea is like, why are we letting kids decide what's best for their spirit, man? They don't even know what's going on. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want them to go to, no. I've never, ever, what you will not find is any kid in heaven or any adult in heaven whose parents made them go to church and go, man, I just really wish my parents hadn't made me go to church. Now, let's take that conversation and go ask somebody in hell. Soberness is the opposite of self-indulgence. See, drunkenness is like self-indulgence, no limits, right? Do whatever I want to do, how much I want to do it. Uh, throw all caution to the wind. Don't think about tomorrow. Don't think about ramifications. Don't think about nothing. Just live for the moment, right? Blah, 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 blah. Drunkenness. You know what I'm talking about? Soberness is this idea that you have clear-headed, Thoughts that, that are thinking about what it is 
it's really important, not just the immediate gratification of our flesh. And so you may be drunk on buying stuff. You may be drunk on entertainment. You may be drunk on whatever it is. But whatever is feeding your immediate self-gratification, soberness is the idea of, am I living for eternity? Soberness of spirit. Am I living for eternity? Am I, am I living my life for God? Am I living my life for self? Right? That's what soberness is. And so keep sober. Therefore, prepare your minds to stay active. Prepare your mind to stay active in the things of God, not to quit the five fundamentals we talked about last week, to stay plugged into the Spirit. Stay sober. Don't get so bogged down with, deli- uh, with life. Uh, I really, like, I think there's, like, this Instagram philosophy that's, like, over, overruling America, which, like, where we have all these little pop psychology quotes that we're just going to, I'm living for the moment. Stop regurgitating everything on social media and, I don't know, read the Bible. So the scripture is going to say things like, um, (laughs) endure till the end. I'm living for the moment. Endure to the end. But you don't understand. I'm not thinking about the end. I'm thinking about the moment. That's where sobriety of mind, spirit comes into play. Okay, fix your hope completely, not 99%, not 95%, not 90%. Let me talk to all you conservative Republican Christians out there for a second. You're 90% fixed your hope on Jesus and 10% still in the dysfunctional Republican Party who doesn't have a clue what's going on in Washington, D.C., this is a bad week to talk about this. Fix your hope 100% on Jesus Christ. There is no hope in man, including this one. Okay? There is hope in Jesus. Fix your hope completely on the amazing grace. We love singing the song, but have you fixed your hope completely on that grace you just sing about? Fix your hope completely on the grace to be bought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This, this doesn't mean like your spiritual revelation, like I'm reading the Bible when I get revealed. No, this literally means the New Living Translation says when he is revealed to the whole world. In other words, his second coming. Okay? Not the rapture. I don't care what you believe about the rapture this morning. I'm not talking about the rapture. But this is specifically the second coming. When Jesus is revealed to the whole world. Okay? Fix your hope on that final moment when Jesus comes and makes everything right. That's sobriety of spirit. Everybody say, prepare my mind. Stay sober. And fix my hope. And Peter's telling the church under persecution the necessary things to survive it. That makes sense? Here they are under threat of death, and he's saying, Have you got your mind right? You got your mind right? Are you locked down in worry and fear and anxiety about what tomorrow brings? Are you staying active? Got your mind right? Second thing, are you sober? Right? 
It's like this idea that if you knew you was, here's this idea. Just a, just a dumb thought, okay? If everybody knew he was going to die in five days, what would you do over the next five days? I would, I would pass the mic around, but I know some of y'all. What are you going to do? What are you going to do in the next five days? It's like I'm going to spend every dime I've got, right? I'm just going to go. I'm going to go apply for a million credit cards and buy everything I want. I'm going to, and you can just sit there and. You, and, the, and the idea is that you would live the next five days in just complete revelry, right? No, no. If that's your mindset, what you're saying is I don't understand eternity. I may be alive in this body for the next five days, but in five days, I'm going to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. I'm living for that reality more than this one right here. Somebody say amen. So that's the concept. It's like, stay sober. Fix your hope completely on the grace. Let's go on. Verse 14. i got to move faster. Verse 14. Sorry. Um, let's just look at a couple more scriptures where it talks about the revealing of, of Christ to the world. First Peter chapter six, first Peter one, six, read this, it says this, it says in this you greatly rejoice. Everybody say greatly rejoice. Uh, he's telling that to the church who is in, in, uh, under the stranglehold of persecution. Greatly rejoice, which is the exact same thing Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, the last beatitude. Uh, rejoice and be glad when they lie about you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you, right? So there is this, there is this thing connected to persecution where we're supposed to uh, have prepared our minds and have joy in the midst of it. In this greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Various trials meaning they're coming to kill you. Okay? Let's go on. Next one. So that the proof of your faith. Everybody say proof of your faith. Proof of your faith isn't what you post on Facebook. Proof of your faith isn't the idea that you have a t-shirt or a bumper sticker. Proof of your faith is that when hell is thrown your way, you cling tight to the hope you have placed your life in. Somebody say Amen. That's good preaching. Proof of your faith being more precious than gold. I'm going to tell a teenage story to illustrate a greater point. Every job, I started working at like 12, 13 years old, hauling hay, picking up rocks out of the field. I never, ever didn't have a job since I was like 12 or 13. I worked and worked and worked and worked. I've never, ever, ever, ever had a job where I made minimum wage or less. I've always been paid above and beyond. And the reason is, y'all can be mad if you want to. It's okay. The reason is, as I said, I will never, ever work on a Sunday. I'll never, ever work on a Wednesday night. I'm going to put God first. And I'm not saying, and, and I've never had a job... And, I, and, and my point to that is, there are certain things more precious than the physical gold. And that is faith. Am I telling you if you're working on a Sunday or whatever that you're, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you have to make sure that your faith is more precious to you than your income. Yeah. Everybody say amen. Yeah. 
<laughs> which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ to the whole world. Uh, let's see that again. In other words, there's a day when he's coming and everything will be revealed as what it truly is. First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 12 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Put that up there for me, brother. Beloved, do not be surprised. Y'all remember earlier when I said that there's two things that surprise me? It's one, that Christians who, who look at non-Christians and go, why do you act that way? And two, it's Christians who seem surprised by trials. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. Again, I'm going to circle back around. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Am I telling you to have this lifestyle where you're always looking for something bad to happen? That is not what I'm saying. Am I telling you to have this lifestyle where you fully expect never, ever, ever to have anything bad happen? And when something bad happens, it, you, it shipwrecks your faith? I'm not telling you that either. I'm telling you what Peter said. Peter said, don't be surprised when fiery trials come among you. Talking to a persecuted church. I love preaching hope. We have a hope, right? We have an eternal hope in Christ Jesus. I'm also preaching you a very real biblical concept that hell is coming for you. Satan is not playing games. There is a real battle for the soul of the believer that is in our future. And Peter's trying to build the type of saint that can, to can, that can war against it and walk through it. And have coming out on the other side, having been purified like gold through trial, and say, I'm standing on the other side, and everything that could burn has been burned off me, and everything I'm standing in now is eternal. Amen. This is what the future believer of the American believer looks like. Amen? Amen? which comes upon you for your testing. How many of y'all love testing? Nobody loves testing. I don't like testing. Some of y'all on Facebook doing all little tests all the time, like little personality tests, and I'm like, why do you want to do more tests? I want to do less tests. But God said, Peter, through the Holy Peter, led by the Holy Spirit, said, guys, don't be surprised. You're going to go through some stuff, and God's going to test your faith. Amen. Why are you mad at me? I'm not. It's a test. You don't love me. This is what the American church has produced. as a believer that calls every test something God's doing to punish us. Make sense? As though some strange thing were happening. I love this. Peter. Peter says it like it is. Beloved, don't be surprised at fiery ordeals among you as if those some strange thing were happening to you. It's not strange. This is what God always said would be part of our walk of faith. You're going to have mountaintops, but guess what? You're going to have valleys of the shadow of death, and I won't leave you, but I'm not taking you out of it either. I will walk with you through the valley. And when you come out on the other side, you're going to be a better man or woman of God because of it. There's a brother in the back. I'm not going to point him out. A brother in the back survived cancer over the last year and a half. He's a be he, has more, he has more trust in God today than he did the day he started that. 
He's back there shaking his head, amen to me. Because why? Because when things come, and you can, look, I'm just saying, at the end of the day, don't be surprised when strange things happen to you. Are we seeking strange things? No, 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 no. And we're going to believe, and we're going to pray God for miracles, signs, and wonders, and we're going to believe the Psalms, that he would protect us, all this kind of stuff. But we're also going to believe, we're also not going to be caught off guard when hell comes to our door. We're going to be prepared. Amen? Amen. And in verse 13, he says this, But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, y'all, sometimes sharing ain't caring. Look, there's this unbiblical, listen to me, when I say unbiblical, it's founded in a partial truth, but exploited to go way beyond what it actually was intended. We've taken the idea that Jesus Christ took the punishment and the suffering on him for our eternal damnation of hell, and we've taken that to mean no suffering could ever come our way because he took all the suffering on the cross so we should not suffer at all. Then what is Peter talking about? Peter, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ... Yes, he became sin, right? He became sin that I might become the righteousness of God. I don't face eternal damnation because he took the penalty of my eternal damnation on him. Death, bell, resurrection overcame. Amen. I get to live with God forever in eternity. Somebody say amen. But the idea that we won't share in suffering... It's a very self-centered notion that we, sh- we don't deserve to share in suffering. We decided to follow God. You see what I'm saying? It's like, no. It is a, every one of the apostles considered it a privilege to lay their life down next to Jesus in suffering. The apostle Peter, this guy, whenever he was going to be crucified for his faith, said, I don't want to be crucified in the same manner that Christ was crucified. Crucify me upside down. I'm not worthy to be crucified the same way he was crucified. He saw honor in it. He saw this thing where I, he saw this thing where like there was, there was some sense of, 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 of glory in the idea that I'm suffering for the sake of God, for the sake of Christ. Suffering, look at me, everybody look at me. Suffering is not God's way of punishing you because he's mad at you. Suffering is not always, very rarely, but sometimes, just you having to face the consequences of everything you did bad. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. If you go out there and smoke five packs a day for the next 20 years and go, why did I get lung cancer? Okay, some suffering is you did something that wouldn't do suffering. Yeah. Amen? I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't cheat on my wife, go get drunk and get high next week, and then y'all fire me from the church and go, I don't understand why they're persecuting me. <laughs> so some suffering you do bring upon yourself, but not all suffering is what you is something you did wrong, and so it came upon you. And we just went like, you know, and there's this idea that you have to separate what 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 uh what you Think what you've been taught about God. Here's, here's the, here's the uh, qualifier. Here's the qualifier. 
we have this catchy little saying we say in church and ease, and that is, is he good? What does everybody say? All the time. Is he good? All the time includes moments of suffering. Oh, y'all are not shouting like I'm preaching. All the time means whenever hell is slapping you upside the head. He's still good. He's still right. He still made the right decision. He still made the right call. He's still the captain of the ship, and he's sailing it very well. He's still good all the time. He's never not good. He's never made the wrong decision. He's never made a mistake. He's never gone, oop, I didn't intend for you to actually be in this moment. My bad. Sorry about that. He's never, ever messed up. He is good. He's perfect all the time. Somebody say amen. Keep on rejoicing that you, so that also the revelation of his glory, you will rejoice in his exaltation when he reveals himself to the whole world. Okay, final thing, and I'm done. Let's go back to uh, 1 Peter 1, verse 14. Now, you can call yourself a king, you can call yourself a priest, you can call yourself a saint, you can call yourself whatever. This is what I want you to call yourself right now. It's got an adjective in there. As obedient children. What is your relationship to God? I'm an obedient child. How many of y'all think of yourself that way? <laughs> How many of you think of yourself as disobedient children? Okay. <laughs> right. right, okay, that's funny. Okay. As obedient children, which goes back into the language Jesus used, right? An earthly father wouldn't give his kid a snake. The heavenly father, right? He's got what's best for you. And whether you think it's what's best for you, he's got what's best for you. As obedient children, do not be conformed. Everybody listen to me. Everybody listen to me. I mean, I mean really listen right now. You are a child of God. You've been born again. You've been, re, you've been, uh, you've been, you've been rebirthed. You, the dead man is gone. Everybody say the dead, by baptism. The old man has been buried. Behold, the new man has come up. You are a resurrection of Christ Jesus, right? As obedient children, look at me. Do not be conformed to the former lust. And don't raise your hand. Don't, don't, don't raise your hand. Don't say, yeah, that's me. Just poker face, everybody in the room. If you are in this room and you are dealing with a former lust or sin of your life that you have dead, that you thought was dead and buried, and you've come up again, I want you to listen to this sermon. I want you to get it back under the blood. There was a time when you did the former lust in ignorance. That's not the case anymore. Verse 15, like the Holy One who called you, be holy. Everybody say holy. Holiness is not another, isn't another one of them uh, topics we shouldn't preach about anymore because it's that now God's legalistic and he's mad. God's not mad. He's holy. Amen. Amen. This is what the Apostle Peter is teaching his church. They believe they're in the very end times and facing certain death and persecution. You can endure the persecution. Get your mind right. Get your heart right, get your spirit right, and live holy. Endure it and live holy. Endure it and live holy. Come out on the other side purified in faith and live holy. 
Everybody say holy. But like the holy one who called you, be holy yourselves in all your... Everybody say behavior. There's a real popular that preached that uh, God's not interested in your behavior. It's not what Peter said. It's not what any of the writers in the New Testament said. As your heart is, so your behavior will be. Amen? You might go through a moment of, 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 of time where, where you're struggling with the sin and you're really in the heart posture. But I'm telling you, if, you, if you're an, a raging, uh, angry person, right? Don't look at your spouse. If you're a raging, angry person and you've been that way for a, for a long time, you can't go, well, I'm angry on the outside, but that's not really who I am as a person. That's not, that's not, that's not real. Amen? No, you're angry on the inside, which is why you're becoming angry on the outside. Get your heart right before God. Amen? And how do we do that? How do we do that? What's the key to living holy? Everybody's got a million messages on how to live holy. Peter taught us how to live holy. Y'all want to know what he said? Well, too bad. You're going to hear it anyway. Okay? This is what he said. Verse, 15, verse 16. Verse 16. It is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. In other words, the idea of a Christian is that we see God and imitate him. So if he's holy, we're holy. Right? Right? We are imitators of God. We are, Paul said little Christ. Okay? Verse 17. If you address if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth. There is this popular notion that we call God Abba and that because we call him Father Abba, then he's actually not going to judge us harshly. No! No, it doesn't matter if you call him Abba, it doesn't matter if you call him uh, Papa Bear, it doesn't matter if you call him Dado, whatever you call him, if he's God, he will impartially judge everyone. Listen to me. The girls, they're both here, I'm glad to have them there. They have tried since they were big enough to understand manipulation, like one, okay? So they have tried, y'all get that? Y'all give your kids way too much credit. They become master manipulators as soon as they learn how to breathe, okay? All right? So here's the thing. I would get mad at the girls because they did something wrong, right? And you can see father going, y'all are acting like hellions. I didn't say, I didn't call them hellions. I may have, but every once in a while. Here's what they do. Once they realize they're doing something wrong, what do they do? They don't come to me, Father, I repent. Please forgive me. Forgive me. I'm doing something wrong. Will you please forgive me? I need to change and do better and get my life right. Right? No, they come through and go, Daddy. Daddy. And then they plead their case while they're innocent and the other sister is bad. And that's the modern Christian. Be careful what kind of Christian you're building. The modern Christian wants to go bat their eyes at and say, Papa, don't you understand? It's really not me. It's them. Well, that's just not. No, they don't. This is literally the first sin. Adam. It wasn't me. <laughs> it was that woman. We're pals. 
We walk in the garden. Right? Woman, wasn't me. It was that snake. Right? Blame game. And here's the idea is that we've so is God our father? Yes. But if you don't marry father to impartial judge, you don't have an accurate uh, definition of who the father is. If you address, this is literally Peter. If you call him Papa, if you call him Father, Abba, literally the Greek word here would be Abba. Like If you call him Abba, the one who impartially judges according to your deeds, your actions, your work, Conduct yourselves in fear. The time on the, the time that you stay on earth. Why? Why on the time on earth? Because earth is very temporary. Internal is very eternal. Eternity is very eternal. Are you living for the temporary? Or are you living for eternal? Verse 18. Did I give you verse 18? Knowing that we were not redeemed. This is the point, and I'm done. You've got to know that just like your faith is more precious than gold. Remember that part a while ago? Yeah, remember that part a while ago? Just like your faith is more precious than gold, knowing that you were not redeemed, you were not born again, you were not taken out of, out of uh, death into life by perishable things like silver and gold. Thank you, Catholic Church, very much. From your feudal ways of life, inherited from your forefathers. You weren't, God didn't pay some uh, bricks from the streets of heaven and say, I'll buy Chester back with a few of these bricks. He didn't, he didn't turn a, stat, a, a burn into a statue of, of, uh, of diamond and say, I'll buy Chester's back life with these diamonds. You weren't redeemed. say redeemed. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved, redeemed a wretch like me. I once was, but now I'm. You weren't redeemed by perishable things like silver or gold, by your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers. No, verse 19. Verse 19. Knowing. Verse 19. I'll read it here. Oh, did I give you verse 19? Yes, verse 19. But. You weren't redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life and inheritance from your But what were you redeemed with? By the precious blood. Not just precious blood. Listen, you were redeemed by the precious blood as of a lamb. This is Danny Rivers standing here last week saying, when the lamb was slain, the lamb was slain. See, I didn't catch it, did you? When the lamb was slain, the lamb was slain. See, you think that somehow we've earned our salvation. You think that somehow I deserve salvation. You think that God loves me so much that, that, that uh, you know, he sees me as a, as a special case. And really, I wasn't that bad. This is what the Pharisees were saying. I think, God, I'm not like them people over there. What you have to realize is you were rotten. You deserve punishment eternally. Somebody say, man. 
From the very core, there is nothing good inside of you, but Jesus Christ loved you so much that he, being a perfect, spotless, never sinned Lamb of God, came from heaven, came to earth, lived a sinless, sinless life, died on the cross, was split wide open, was, was poured out of the blood... And that blood was an atonement, a sacrifice made. And it paid the penalty of our sin. And it paid the penalty of our death. And we had been redeemed by the precious blood. Here's the key to living holy. Look at me. Look right now. Here's the key to living holy. The key to living holy is being constantly aware of the blood of Jesus Christ. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. People want to preach that the key to living holy is love. It's It's not love. Love on a human standard wanes. It comes and goes. It's high some days. It's low some days. The thing that's constant, the thing that's unmovable, the thing that never changes is the blood of Jesus. And being continually, constantly aware of the blood, not losing the sacrifice, not losing. This is what Peter's teaching. You weren't redeemed with silver and gold. You were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And if you can keep that right here, This is why we take communion so much. This is why you need to be in your Bible. Because Paul talks about it. Peter talks about it. John talks about it. Jesus talks about it. That all these guys are constantly reminding us the blood that was shed. 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 With precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless. The blood of Christ. It is really hard to, let's say, look at me, be a church person in Peter's day. And you see your persecutor across town. Look at me. And they, those people want to kill you. And you're trying not to hate them. Y'all out there? You're trying not to hate them. You see the most rankest sinner, and you identify. Look at me, look at me. You see the most ranked sinner in El Dorado, Arkansas, and you identify them as the problem with what's wrong with our society. And you're trying not to hate them in your own heart. That's a sin. Everybody say that's a sin. The way to stay holy. The way to stay holy, the way to be able to forgive people who's hurt you, the way to be able to be unoffended, the way to be able to uh, love your enemy, the way to be able to pray for those who persecute you, right? All these things Peter and Jesus are teaching us to do. The way to do that is to be keenly aware that the same blood that washed me clean was spilt for them too. I'm not a special case. Jesus Christ did not hang on that cross and my, my, my name wasn't on his mind. Humanity's was. I'm not a special case. I'm not his favorite. This, this baloney that we're all his favorite, we're not his favorite. He loves us all. He died for us all. We're, we're, we're all, uh, we're all. There's no, if we're going to say there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, uh, all that kind of stuff, then we can't say I'm the favorite. We are all covered by one common denominator. And that is the precious, imperishable blood of Jesus Christ. That's what changes everything. 
So the more I can put my heart back on his blood and the more I can look at his sacrifice and the more I can eat the bread and drink the cup, the more that I can make his cross a reality in my life, the more I can love, the more I can forgive, the more I can pray for the person who's, who's trying to kill me like Peter's talking to. Because the blood of Jesus washes everything. This was Peter's message to the last day's church. You endure and stay holy, keeping the blood on your mind until he comes back and reveals himself to the whole world. That saint can endure till the end. Amen? At the end of the Feast of Booths this week, Hamas bombed Israel. People joke, you know, and it's, and it, you know, people have said stuff like, well, this, this is it. This is the last times, right? This is the end times. It's the, the start of the last great war and all this kind of stuff. Who knows? Only God knows. Only God knows, and he ain't telling us. Here's what I want to say. Uh, we're going to pray and bless Israel this morning. Why are we going to do that? Because the scripture tells us to do that. Also, I don't know if there's anybody out here that, that thinks this way. I don't think there is. I'm just going to say it for those people who will be listening to the podcast later on. If you're one of those Christians who say, well, you know, that's in the Old Testament. We don't do the Old Testament stuff no more. What? You might can say, uh, I'm not going to follow the law when it comes to uh, not eat catfish and not wear clothing woven of two different material. If you want to say Jesus Christ fulfilled that law, so I'm not under those same legal standards, I can absolutely understand that. If you want to say that outside of the law, Jesus, God, God commands us to bless Israel and pray for her, and uh, those who bless Israel will be blessed, and those who curse her will be cursed, and you want to say that's in the same category as those other things we don't have to think about anymore, there's a level of willful biblical ignorance that is just blowing my mind when you say that kind of stuff. Was that too harsh? Okay, thank you, Jordan. Okay, the truth is, is that we are going to bless Israel because look at me right now. If his promise to Israel has not kept, then his promise to us is just as worthless as his promise to Israel. Amen? So... A, the fact that Israel remains this day is proof of the promise being kept continually as he continues to keep his promise. Somebody say amen. How many of y'all have, if you wanted to, this is the bloodiest attack in Israel since the, uh, since the is it 10-day war, uh, five-day war, whatever, seven-day war, six-day six day war. Is it six? How many days was it? Huh? What'd you say? Six-day war. Bloodiest attack on Israel since six-day war. Here's what, here's what I'm saying. God is keeping his promise over Israel. Amen? 
I'm going to be standing here blessing Israel, praying for Israel, praying for Jerusalem, right? And we're going to do that. And that's the right thing to do. It's a biblical thing to do. So if you want to join me with that, I want you to stand up on your feet right now. All across the world right now, believers are coming together and they're praying for Israel. I'm getting text messages on Facebook and on and different private chats constantly about the world gathering together to pray for Israel. We are going to join our voice with countless millions of believers across the globe right now. What I'm trying to say is I'm trying to paint this picture in your mind that this isn't a group of 150 people in the middle of El Dorado. This is a massive gathering of saints all across the world praying right now simultaneously for Israel. So here's what we're going to do. I just want you to begin right now to just pray and to bless Israel and to, and to bless Jerusalem and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And then I'm going to lead us in a formal prayer to close it off. But right now, all across this room, I just want you to pray. I want you to pray right now. Just lift your voice. If you want to pray out loud, pray out loud. But let's just pray for Israel and bless Israel. I very much want to come back into alignment with what, with what we worshipped this morning, which is this victorious, warring God who doesn't lose in battle. He is, uh, as she's saying, undefeated. And we pray right now in the name of Jesus that Jesus, and I, and I know this is silly, but even you with your combat boots on, God, we pray that you would make war in the heavenlies over Israel right now by the blood and in the name of Jesus Christ. That you would defend the people of Israel, God. That you would put your peace in Jerusalem. God, I know that it's your heart, even as you pray, that you desire to gather Israel underneath the shadow of your wing, that you mother hen over them and protect them by the shadow of your wing. So we pray that they would come under the protection of the Holy Spirit. We pray that this war would begin to deposit even more so a spiritual seed into the hearts of the, uh, of the Israeli people. That they would look forward to the coming of their Messiah and that they would see that that man is Jesus Christ. And that he would be revealed to their hearts. That they would see him and they would believe upon him who they prayed for and longed for for thousands of years. And that they would, if they didn't see him the first time of God, that they would understand him the second time, God, that they would, their hearts would be revealed that Jesus is their Messiah, their promised one. And so we pray for their salvation and we pray for their protection and we bless those right now. We, bless, we, we pray a blessing over Israel and we curse the people, we curse the enemies plans 
their plans. Every plan to thwart, every plan to bring destruction and death upon Israel. We cursed their plans, and we pray in the name of Jesus that their plans would fall flat and they would be thwarted, and that, that, that they would even find themselves confused, as happened so many times in the Old Testament, where the enemies of Israel would, would be confused about even what they were trying to do, and great confusion would come into the plans of the enemy. And we pray in the name of Jesus that you would bless Israel. Bless, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that salvation would very literally, very literally in the spirit realm and in the physical realm come to Israel. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody in agreement said, Amen.